You made us alive together in Christ. And you saved us by your grace. Father, have blessed us so much with the abundant life. And you have come promised to give us eternal life in Jesus Christ. So we thank you so much for loving us so much that you gave your son that he might take our sins in his body and that he might go to the cross and pay for the debt that we owed. How can we ever thank you enough when we think about all that you've done for us and all the spiritual blessings that you have you bestowed upon us. Help us, Father, to treasure the blessings that you give us, not to take them for granted. And help us to order our lives in such a way that we'll never bring reproach upon you. Help us always to glorify you in everything we say or do. And thank you so much for the opportunity that we can be here tonight with our brothers and sisters, that we can look into your word, that we can measure ourselves against it. Hopefully, Father, if we are amiss, that we will order our lives according to your will. Thank you for loving us and being so patient and long-suffering, forbearing, so merciful and kind to us. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. mentioned his blessings in his prayer and the first hymn is going to be count your blessings 643 when upon life's pillows you are tempest tossed when you are discouraged thinking all is lost count your many blessings name them one by one and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. Are you ever burdened with the load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God <clears throat> Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings, money cannot buy your reward in heaven or your home on high. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. 
things, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. Number 400. Oh, how kindly hast thou led me. Oh, how kindly hast thou led me, Heavenly Father, day by day. Found my dwelling, clothed and fed me, furnished friends to cheer my way. Didst thou bless me, didst thou chasten with thy smile or with thy rod? Was that still my step might hasten homeward, heavenward to my God? Oh, how slowly have I often Followed where thy hand would draw, how thy kindness failed to soften, how thy chastening failed to all. Make me for thy rest more ready, as thy path is longer trod. Keep me in thy friendship steady till call me home, my God. Paul's going to do a solo there for a minute. <laughs> 503, 503. Swiftly returning. Those that's using a book, please mark uh, number 677 for uh, an imitation hymn. 677. <clears throat> Swiftly returning, life's daily pages. Swiftly the hours are changing to years. How are we using God's golden moments? Shall we reap glory? Shall we reap tears? Into our hands the gospel is given. Into our hands is given the light. Haste, let us carry God's precious message. Guiding the airing, 
preachy, turneth his night. Shall we sit idly as a rush onward? Haste, let us hold up Christ the true light. Into our hands the gospel is given. Into our hands is given the light. Haste, let us carry God's precious message, guiding the erring back to the right. Souls that are precious, souls that are dying, while we rejoice, our sins are forgiven. Did he not also die for these lost ones? Then let us point the way unto him. Into our hands the gospel is given. <clears throat> Into our hands is given the light. Haste, let us carry God's precious message, guiding the erring back to the right. Well, good evening. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. For the next eight weeks, we'll be looking here in the Sermon on the Mount. I'll be, obviously, speaking tonight. We've had several men doing a good job for us speaking on Sunday nights, and we'll do a little bit more of that as well as we go through this uh, together. I think this is going to be a fun and, and good series for us. Um, I'll be speaking, kicking this off tonight, and then doing the last two as well uh, throughout this series, and they'll pick up really next week in chapter 6. So I get all of chapter 5 to myself. But those of you who've read the Sermon on the Mount before or have studied it or have had a class over it before know that there's no way we can do all of chapter 5 in one setting. So I kind of had to pick my favorite, and I chose 13 through 16. And he really starts off in, in a really grandiose kind of way. In the Sermon on the Mount, it's interesting how when he sits down and he opens his mouth to speak to them, it's very different how the setting is right now. You guys are sitting down and I'm standing up. I mean, I wouldn't argue if there was a stool up here or anything like that, but this is the way that it was done with their teachers back in this time. And they would gather around and listen to him as he opened up with the Beatitudes. Y'all have heard the Beatitudes before, and, and I think it'd be good for us to read through these. He says in verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, as if to say in that verse, he's not holding anything back really here. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you 
when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are a way, these are essential characteristics or characters that the kingdom occupants, that followers of Christ are supposed to have in order to be blessed, in order to be prosperous under God as he leads us. And really, did you notice at the end of verse 11 how he says, on my account? Yes, the world may revile, the world may hate, the world may do whatever the world does. But it's on my account. As kingdom occupants, you and I, we are under his banner. We are following after him, which really takes a lot of the pressure off of me. It takes a lot of the responsibility off of me. However, you and I still have responsibility. That's what he goes on to say in the rest of chapter 5. You could almost break up chapter 5 as saying this, this is how disciples of Christ, this is how followers of Christ are to deal with each other and to deal with other people, anyone and everyone that we come into contact with. But let's read what it is that we're going to study for tonight, verse 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Two topics of discussion here, salt and light. Now, it was interesting this morning, um, and, and other times I've said this. I said this in Bible class and other times about keys for, for good Bible study. And one of the things, especially if you're new to studying Scripture or if you want to be a little bit better, I always say start off answering every question you can possibly come up with as if you've never read it before, as if this is your first time encountering the text. Because... You and I, we, we've perhaps heard this or other things in Scripture, and we come to it with preconceived ideas, but maybe those preconceived ideas might be wrong, so maybe I need to start from scratch. Who is talking, and who is talking to who? Where is this at? What does this mean for them, and what comes across the bridge? Well, I got a little crazy in my question asking. <laughs> That's why I tell you this. My, my brain kind of starts going off in one direction sometimes for a minute. And I say that to say salt has a lot. We'll talk about salt first. Salt has a lot of symbolism and, and roots in the Old Testament. One of the places that salt is highlighted, highlighted, and this is where my brain went, is in the grain offering. There are several different offerings and, you know, any chance to bring up sacrificial system, right? Any chance. And grain offering was part of their sacrificial system. You've heard of the burnt offering and the peace offering we've talked about before. But this is different from those as well. They're two different things, two different purposes. Not all offerings done by Israel were for the purpose of forgiveness of sins or atonement. The burnt offering had, had bloodshed and it had atonement involved in it. But neither of those were part of the grain offering. Now, the loose thread that connects this is there is salt involved in the grain offering. So I'm giving you that at the end to keep your interest here. 
But the grain offering, quite literally, the word that describes it or defines it, the Hebrew word is korban. And it means a given to God or a gift. It was strictly about a gift of gratitude to God. There was no thought about buying favor or forgiveness from God or anything like that. And in the grain offering, only cultivated grains could be presented in this sacrifice, but not as in their original form of grain, meaning you don't just go and gather grain in a sack and go and dump it on the altar. That's not what you did. What you did was you gathered the grain and grind it all up, and you make almost what I'm going to call a cake-like object with it. And that's what was sacrificed and brought later. There was preparation that took place before the offering, before the worship was done. Now, I think that's pretty key for you and I on this side of the cross. There was preparation and thought and intentionality before even worshiping. How often do you and I come, come here or do what we do as, as if that, that's the one time that we get our minds ready to worship or focus to worship? But could you imagine how much better our singing our praying and the things that you and I do together, our fellowship would be if we prepared ahead of time to get the right mind, to get the right heart, to get myself really ready to do this. And this grain offering, it was an act of worship that had one singular purpose, to give to God out of a deep and sincere attitude of gratitude and pure devotion to Him. I'm giving this to God because I can. That's the idea that was there. And salt was one of the main ingredients that, of three that was added into it. Why? Because salt was always used symbolically in all of their sacrifices as well and used as a phrase, as a sign of covenant in both the Old and the New Testament. It was used to confirm covenants in place or renew covenants. It was added to this, the grain offering as a sign of responsibility to use my resources for God, which is like you and I saying, all that I have is yours, God. All that I am is yours, and I give it back as a gift to you. I'm going to use it for you. Leviticus 2.13, if you'd like a verse, says, Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt out of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. You see, salt, it, it wasn't just a nice phrase here that Jesus is saying. I think it's got a couple purposes, but this is one of them. Salt was intended by God to stand as a symbol of their two-way covenant, a symbol of covenant, of everlasting covenant between them. Salt was mentioned to confirm or to renew covenant obligations. And here in Matthew 5, 13, Jesus said that you... His followers, his disciples, on this side of the cross, Christians, are the salt of the earth, are the salt of the world. That means to be a follower of God faithfully, to truly be His. We are part of His covenant and a part of His covenant relationship with Him. Salt had another big function and, and still does to a lot of people in the world. It's widely used as a preservative. I know several of y'all have heard this before. But it's used to, perhaps you roll meat around in it. Not perhaps, this is what you do. You roll meat around in it, sucks the moisture out, it helps to keep it good longer. 
And I think both aspects are at play in the life of a disciple. Part of our purpose as salt in the world, both to show covenant with God and to preserve the good and preserve the godly that is in the world, the things of God. But if you are not faithful, you no longer have that salty aspect. What does he say? If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It's just, it's just a little pebbly rock thing now. How does salt lose its saltiness? You ever thought about that? Only when it's diluted. Only when it's compromised by another agent is when it loses that what makes it salt. For the life of a Christian, that would be sin. When it dilutes us, when it compromises us, it gets rid of the essential nature of salt, the thing that makes us part to be in covenant with God. And in in other words, if a man loses his covenant standing before God, then we are no longer in covenant with him, obviously, but we cannot be that sweet savor, that sweet worship to God. We can't be good for God, pleasing to God. And his gifts are supposed to be that. They're supposed to be a fragrant and good offering. And so Jesus here, he's challenging, I think, us and them, reminding us and them, preserve the goodness in your community where you're at, warning against becoming useless. Pure salt never loses its usefulness. God's kingdom inhabitants, you and I as Christians are supposed to be useful for God. And kingdom people have what the world needs. I, I remember a time when I was probably six or so, I'm going to guess. We'll say five to eight. And I, I really, I discovered table salt for the first time. And I discovered when you put more salt on it, things taste really great. And so, you know what I made the conclusion of? I bet if I unscrew this cap and dump it into my mouth, it's going to be awesome. No, <laughs> it was one of the worst things. I, I still remember vividly my reaction and everything. We were at grandma's house having fish fry, and I just thought this would be the best thing. I took all the pitcher of sweet tea and was half dumping it in my mouth, and the half of it was falling in the sink, trying to get all of that out. But it made me more thirsty, is what I'm saying. Salt creates a thirst. And perhaps by being salt in the world, we can create or help inspire that thirst that people need to be awakened to, the thing that they need. And then comes in the light aspect, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. John eight twelve should be ringing in our ears right about now when Jesus would say that I am the light of the world. He is the source of the light. You and I are extensions or reflections, we might say, of his pure light as we imitate him. He says, going on there, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. It has a purpose. It has multiple purposes. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. There's the therefore. The so that is is a therefore every time you read it that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
What are these good works? It's anything and everything you and I are called to do as a Christian. It's every moment that we draw breath. It should be to the glory of God. It should be to further the will of God. Your faith is, in fact, outward, not just inward or, or kept secret or unseen. You see, when people say faith is belief or a mental acknowledgement, it's wrong because faith is seen. It's actionable. If it's not actionable, then it's not faith. Faith would never be hidden or kept secret. What does James 2.17 say? Faith without works is what? Dead. Useless. Because it's not real faith. I love what is said in Hebrews 6 and 7. I know y'all have heard me say this before. But Hebrews 7, talking about Noah. By faith, Noah, being concerned or being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, out of reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of he and his household. By faith, Noah did what? He heard. Well, that makes sense because faith always comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where faith starts. But it doesn't just stay there. He didn't just say, yeah, I believe there's going to be rain, God. In fact, that's the concerning events yet unseen. There's the rain. There's all of that. He trusted in what God had to say, and out of that trust, he obeyed. Because he trusts, he obeyed. He built the ark. Faith always involves action. True faith results in action. And so light has at least two purposes. To shine for the purpose of shining. And I know that might seem elementary in a way, but what we mean is God's glory being seen rightfully because God's glory deserves to be seen, not hidden. God's glory needs to be seen. The things about God, the characteristics of God need to be understood. But also light, of course, shines for the purpose of guidance, for pointing the right direction, guiding to the source of the light. And you can't do either. You can't glorify God. You can't direct others to Him by sitting idly by doing nothing, choosing to hide, choosing to put it under whatever it might be, a basket or whatever, choosing faithlessness, choosing fear or laziness. You and I were given life by Christ. I want to look over here at Romans 6. This is one of the verses that we looked at this morning we touched on. I didn't read the rest of it, but I figure now is a good time. Romans 6, 11, beginning there. We go here a lot to discuss the, the, the significance, the point, the purpose of, of being baptized in Him. That's the point that we're saved, yes. But remember in its context here in Romans 6, Paul is not writing to non-Christians. He's writing it for usefulness for non-Christians to read later, yes. But he's writing to Christians to remind them that they were baptized, that they got out of death, and had been given life. Verse 11, verse 10. For he, the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let sin therefore not reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You see, we were given life by Christ in that moment. 
And so the life I live ought to reflect the life that he lived, the life that he has called you and I to, to live righteously, to do righteousness as we talked about this morning. And so that others can glorify God, so that others can see God and follow that same path to him. But remember, it's God's righteousness, not our own. At the end of this section in Matthew 5, verse 48, last verse of Matthew 5, I think it ties everything together that came before it. Not just, you know, this one section. But he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, that's real easy to do, isn't it? No, it's not. But what he's saying is, it's God's righteousness. It's God's perfectness. And you and I are called to imitate him. You and I are called to do our best to follow after him, to be that light, to be the salt. Some would argue that salt and light here, salt is a bit of a negative and the light is a bit of positive. I guess you could make that argument. But what are the lessons that we learn from here? Well, I've got at least three. The Sermon on the Mount as a whole, it's built around how Christians are different and how the issues, or how he issues this call to remain different. And there's a word for, for that, remaining different. It's called holy. Holy quite literally means to be set apart. It's a reminder for us, and perhaps something to teach new Christians, or not just new Christians, but people before they become Christians, and then really dive into it more later, that you and I are to remain set apart from the culture, whatever way it may go, and to cling tightly as we can to God, remembering to renew covenant, to stay in covenant, to shine for Him. There is responsibility. This is the second point. There is responsibility we must accept as followers of Christ. Notice how in these times He says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And as he gets going in it, he adds a sort of therefore statement. Here's the purpose of it. You are salt. That comes with responsibility. You are light, and that comes with a purpose. Not just for your own sake to say, wow, that's great. That's a great title to have. But it's not God that is dependent on you fulfilling your role as salt and light. Who is it that it says there? The salt of the earth. The light of the world. It's the world that needs what you have. We might feel small at times. I know I feel ineffective a lot or incapable. But I've got to remember that I'm not the source of good or the source of the light. He is the inexhaustible source that both the good and the source of light that, that we must rely on, that we must imitate and reflect. And number three, the two purposes come with two analogies. I'd say the, the salt is remaining in covenant, but also as it has an effect on the world. This is where I'm taking this. As it has an effect on the world, stopping the spreading of sin in our own lives and those around us as much as we have the responsibility and capability to do so around us. But then light is the spreading of the truth. That means Christians are, are called to be active in the world. I know you know this, but this is a good reminder for us. And so, 
I'm called to be active in the world, not just active alone or with other Christians within these own or these same walls. I need to be a faithful follower of God in private when no one else is looking, when no one else is involved, when no one else is seen. And I should be a Christian in the dark, obviously. There's integrity there. But I need to be a Christian with other Christians. I need to be actively faithful with the assembly of the saints, the church, active in body life, actively encouraging one another through worship and through fellowship. But remember that the world doesn't always benefit from what I do in private and doesn't always necessarily, sometimes, but not always benefit from what we do within these walls. The purpose of what we gather for on Sundays, as we're commanded to, is for the benefit of the body first and foremost. And so we need to be doing righteousness outside of the doors for the sake of the world. God has given us the responsibility to engage the world with the goal of Him being glorified and the lost coming to the knowledge of the truth. I think too often we skip over the responsibility aspect of when we become Christians, when we're converting people. There's a lot that, that we should also be teaching of. This is not just an escape from the world, not just an escape from reality, but this is a call to live in the world. You are not of the world, but you are the salt and the light in the world, and you are called to engage with the world, with the church side by side. And so how does a Christian work to stop to spread sin and wrongdoing? I've scratched my head at that a lot. What, what really can, can one or a few do? But there are times when Christians ought to stand up and speak, condemn certain things that are taking place when opportunities arise, not making a spectacle for spectacle's sake, of course, and being wise in our judgments. And there are other times when I can actually do more than speaking. But a fallen world needs more than just barricades put up, don't do this, don't do that. They need the light to say, this is the right highway. This is the right path that you should be going down. And that's where you and I come to play even more. Why? Because that's the responsibility God's given us when he created you and I to be new. I love what 2 Corinthians, this will be our last verse, 5.17 says, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus here is reminding us in the Sermon on the Mount, right here where we're at. He'll teach us many things. But he's reminding us here of the responsibility that we have and the influence that you and I can have around us in the world. Because he made us to be that, and he gave us his spirit to grow us in his likeness. You aren't going to shine like God without God being active in your life. And to be God, or to have God active in your life, you've got to have the spirit in you. You've got to be a faithful and obedient follower. When does that start? When does my sin wash away, when do I get the Spirit in me? It happens at the same time when I become a Christian at the point of baptism. And if you want to know more about that, we're obviously very happy to discuss that. But maybe you need a little help with your walk. Maybe you need a little help getting back in covenant with God to restore the saltiness, 
to get back to shining as light. Or maybe you haven't really left, but you feel like you're not doing a great job and you just need encouragement. Whatever your need is, let us know as we stand together and sing. So LaMonica has come asking for prayers, and we will pray for her and with her, um, admitting that perhaps health has gotten away a little bit more than maybe it should when it comes to the assembly, when it comes to her walk. Um, it's one of those things that can get in the way that can become an excuse, but definitely doesn't want it to be, and we don't want it to be for her either. So our job is to encourage her, and our job is to motivate her as well and pray with her. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for LaMonica, for her family, and for the heart that she has to follow after you. We know that circumstances uh, sometimes are inevitable, but we pray that we and, and LaMonica don't use that as an excuse. Don't let it really get in the way of faithfulness. Don't let it get in the way of her walk. And we pray a prayer of thanks for the forgiveness that you give us, that you give us to, to help us keep on that path and cleanse us and keep us from further down the path of sin. But be with her and be with us as her family to help encourage her and motivate her. Thank you for all that you do for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. table has been left prepared. If you raise your hand if you need to take it. Okay. This is number 283. Jesus, keep me near. 
its beams around me. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the As Danny had mentioned, it's still the first day of the week and we still have the tables prepared. Uh, can I see a show of hands again? Let's go to our Father in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the sacrifice of your son shed his life on the cross for forgiveness of our sins. And we ask that you be with those partaking of this bread and the remembrance of that body that was shed on the cross, that they will not take for granted the extreme sacrifice that you went through for us. And May we always, as we've just sung, may we always think back to that extreme sacrifice that you went through, that we will not take it for granted and understand the, the love that you showed to us in that sacrifice. Be with us now and always. In Jesus' name that we pray. Be with us tonight that are taking the fruit of the vine, and let us remember what it represents in the blood your son shed for the remission of our sins. In Christ's name I pray, amen. collection plate will be placed out front for any that uh, didn't have the opportunity to give this morning. Let's go to our Father in prayer again. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the so many blessings that you give us here in this world, uh, monetarily, physically, socially, all the, the wonderful love that we share with our fellow brothers and sisters here. And 
We ask that you be with these monies that are collected, that they may be used to help further your work here in this kingdom. Here, we ask that you uh, be with us all as we go out into the world, that any time we have a, a need that has been pres presented to us, that we will be there with a, whatever kind of help is needed. May we have that kind of a heart. Be with us now and always. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day you've given us to come together and learn another portion of your word. Lord, be with us as we take this through the week and and let our light shine. Be with us the rest of this uh, evening. And thank you, thank you for your son who came down and died on the cross for our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.